This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. Go to athletics.com slash A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Watch the left field deep. Bam going back. Looking up. He will watch it fly. And 29 other MLB clubs. 2-2 pitch on Trout, and he blasts one. Way back. Gone for Yelich. Cody Bellinger hits one out. Pete Alonso. He's your home run derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. So earlier today, I caught up with Eric Karros, and we just started talking about this time of the year. You know, it's all coming down to these last few games. This is the very best. Yeah, no question. Uh, you know, especially with all the races, uh, you know, what's transpired the last uh, couple of weeks. And then, you know, what we all have to, to look forward to in the future, because uh, there are definitely a lot of storylines. Yeah, you know, and, and for me, going, you know, throughout the year and people go, oh, it's only one loss in May or it's just a little blip in April. And then you start adding them up at the end of the year, and you look how close these games are and how close these races are, like the Oakland Athletics, who have a two-game lead, and you got a tie here in the second spot between the Rays and Cleveland. They could be battling for just one spot. Yeah, you know, I, I mean, it is that it's such a long season, and at the beginning of the year, you know, the difference is you have time to – make up those losses or, uh, you know, if you want to make changes or, you know, it's typical with, with Billy Bean type teams, uh, you know, in Oakland, you know, you spend the the first part of the season, you know, letting things go and, and evaluating and, you know, then you, you spend the next time, next third making your moves and then the last third, okay, this is what we got. Let's, let's see how it plays out. And, you know, at the end of the year, obviously, you know, you're running against the, the, the end of the schedule. So things feel, and they are, they're a lot more magnified uh, because you don't have a lot of room for air. And the way things are, are playing out right now, uh, especially uh, with Cleveland and, and Tampa, uh, things could very well come down to the very last day of the season and even extend beyond. Um, you know, and that's not to say that, hey, Oakland's, you know, got things going, but I, you know, you, you've got to feel very confident that uh, right now the the A's are in the driver's seat and will be that top wild card team. You mentioned Billy Bean. Just how impressive with everything that he has to deal with, and knock on wood, the A's are getting into the postseason. This will be the tenth postseason appearance in the last twenty years for the A's. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things that, that play into it. Uh, obviously, the ability to to identify players, uh, draft well, especially you know at the beginning of that the, the run and the uh, 
you know, the 2000, uh, late 90s, you know, you, you had some unbelievable talented play, believable talented players like, you know, you had Tejada and Giambi and, uh, you know, the, the three-headed monster with the, the pitching. Um, and those types of guys that, you know, on the open market, those were, you know, those were eight, nine, ten million dollar players at the at the time. Um, but then the ability to identify things to to kind of go out of the box, which, um, you know, it, it it plays well in Oakland because if you're a large market team, you very well can't. I don't want to say experiment, but but kind of do unconventional things. And uh, obviously, some of the things uh, have worked, and he's been at the forefront of of implementing some of those philosophies and. Uh, there's no question that, uh, you know, Billy's, I mean, you have to really talk about, you know, as far as innovation and the ability to, to, to do some things, uh, you know, I mean, it's a Hall of Fame type career. No doubt about it. And how was, how was your stay in Oakland in 2004? So it was good. I mean, it started off where, it, you know, I was an opening day first baseman and, and things were good. Um I would say if I would have known probably a little bit more going into it about how things work, I don't know if that was the perfect place for me, just because I think they were at the forefront of, hey, look, at you know, we're playing some guys here, and then we're matching up here, and, and at that time, at that stage of my career, it wasn't really, you know, ideal for me, but as far as learning things, uh, the group of guys, you know, outside of my lack of production, it was a great experience. Uh you know, I had a good time there, and, and I had known Billy previously. Billy is a San Diego guy, and ironically, um, you know, when I was growing up, Billy was the high school player. Uh, was a couple of years ahead of me, and uh, I remember his days at Mount Carmel High School and uh, would go and watch him play. So we start to look at there's going to be some changes here in the offseason, and I think the first mm-hmm. place we look is in Chicago. Uh, it's a rough last week for the Chicago Cubs. They've lost six in a row. Where do you think they go with Joe Madden? It doesn't look good, and obviously with the way things have transpired here in this last week, um, I would be shocked if the status quo, and it won't be just Joe. It will be, it will be a change in leadership. It will be a change in that clubhouse. And I don't know if that's where, you know, all of the issues uh, – you know, took place. Look at the, the way that that roster was constructed. Uh, you know, there were a lot of ifs going into the season, and there have been some, you know, some missteps along the way, as far as uh, you know, contractual signings. So, the easiest change: you remove the manager, you make some trades, you bring in some guys. Um, you know, is that where everything, you know, all the blame should be placed? No, but that's the easiest place to make a change. Were you shocked that Green was let go in San Diego before the end of the season? I was, but I, the, the reason probably that it's done, unless something else comes out, it, you, know, you, you want to get ahead of the curve as far as identifying who you want to be the next manager, meaning there's going to be – you know, we, we know there's going to be an opening in San Francisco. The, there's talk of, you know, what happens in Philly. You know, what happens with the Mets. Obviously, Chicago is is someplace that, you know, may or may not go in a different direction. Uh, you know, so there's going to be a lot of opportunity. And, you know, there's there's a certain number of candidates that, that, that are at the forefront probably. And 
I think San Diego probably wants it known that, hey, this is a place to come. And, um, you know, so if you are entertaining a managerial job, hey, look, you know, San Diego might be a place where, you know, you want to go interview. Well, up in our neck of the woods with Bochy, you know, calling it quits. Mm -hmm. But he's it, people have asked him, are, are you sure you're you're over managing? Will you be shocked if he ends up in San Diego? I don't. Here's the thing. I wouldn't be shocked if he's managing again. Now, San Diego, it's an interesting thing. It, it probably I would guess that that place probably is a, a more of a veteran presence, which a guy, you know, Bruce would, would be an unbelievable fit there uh, just because you've got the Hosmer, the Machado, you know, Tatis, um, you know, maturing, coming into his own. But because you've got those two guys, Machado and, and Hosmer, you know, I think that's tough for a, a young guy to come in and, and, and handle that. Um, but it makes all the sense. You just, you, you just got to see, does, you know, what does his lifestyle look like? What does he want to do? And is that the right place? And when we start to look towards the postseason here, if I had to say, who's your front runner in the National League? Are, are you going to stick with your Dodgers, or do you think there's somebody? Cardinals are hot. Obviously, the Braves are really are, are really good. Who do you like in the National League? No, if, if I had to, if I have to pick, I still I, I go with the Dodgers now. Am I as confident in L.A. as I was three weeks ago? No, and and a lot of that has to do with, you know, there have been some injury issues. Uh, you know, Muncie hasn't swung the bat uh, as well since he's been back from the, 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 the wrist fracture. Uh, you know, will he be healthy enough? Because that's huge, hitting behind Bellinger. Uh, Turner's been down with an ankle, and, and although he'll be, you know, he'll be playing, is that uh, going to impact the hitting? Uh, you know, Kenley Jansen has been, you know, up and down. Um, so, again, I, I guess I'm not as confident. Look, you could make a case for the Braves. I think you could make a pretty good case for the Nationals. I have a tough time uh, with St. Louis or Milwaukee. They're great stories, uh, but I just I, I just don't see that happening. I, I Again, I still have to say it's it's the Dodgers to lose. You know, and, and we'll switch over to the American League. I was actually just in Cleveland with the Raiders, and we went over to we went over to their beautiful ballpark and Target Field. And I just start thinking about you know everybody wants to crown the Astros, but we know how tough the Yankees are. The Minnesota Twins are not going to be an easy out. And then whoever wins the wild card game, whether it's going to be the A's or it's going to be the Rays or it's going to be Cleveland, mm -hmm. they're going to be real hot. So I mean, it's like it's like everybody's got a puncher's chance in the American League. Right. Still, though, if, if I'm looking at if I'm looking at the Astros and again comparing them to all the other teams, the only, they're better than every other team in every facet except maybe the bullpen. And then I'd probably give that to the Yankees. Um, and but the but the Astros they've got Presley back in the bullpen. And that's not to say that that other teams can't. I I would probably handicap it as Astros, Yankees, A's, Twins, um, and then it, look at the the Ray, both of the Rays and the Indians could make some noise just because of the, the, the pitching uh, that they could run out there. The, the Rays, for me, seem a little lax on offense. Um, the you know the, the the Indians, I mean, same way, I don't know, and I'm, I don't know if I'm excited about their bullpen as well. Uh, the A's are... 
I, I feel like they're kind of a poor man's version of the Yankees and the Astros as far as they're pretty darn complete. Um, you know, look, and, and Mania is, I mean, that, that's been a godsend for him, right? And, and I'd put him up against anybody, uh, whether it's Verlander or whether it's, you know, Paxton with the Yankees, you know, and, and he's going to give them a, a chance. So, look, you can't count out the A's at all. But, again, if I'm looking on paper right now, I still, I've st- you know, the Astros, um, but there's no reason why the A's, you know, they, they get hot here and there, some some contributions, uh, you know, the starting staff. You know, is Homer Bailey or Tanner Roark going to go out and, and, and throw a gem? I mean, heck, they've been steals as far as trades are concerned. So, uh, you know, you just got to hope that continues in the postseason. Let's end on this. You you come up to the Dodgers. You're the rookie of the year in 1992. Mike Piazza's there. You guys are both becoming stars in baseball living at the beach. What was that time like early in the Dodgers? Because you guys look like you were just having the time of your lives. <laughs> you know, it's ironic you bring this up just because uh, I, I, ran, I was with Mike last night uh, at, at, uh, at Tommy Lasorda's uh, 92nd birthday party, and you know we hadn't seen each other in a while. Uh, he lives over in Italy now. And we were just talking about, you know, how quick the time has gone. And, you know, obviously, uh, you know, it was a it was a fun time. We were we were young single guys in in L.A. and uh, you know living a dream. We were we were playing baseball and uh, things were good. So great to have that opportunity. And you know the irony of it as well. Both of us ended our careers in Oakland. So <laughs> we were reminiscing about that. So. All good, though. All good. Eric, always been a big fan. I really appreciate it. We'll be watching on television throughout the playoffs. All right. Thanks a lot for giving me the opportunity. Take care. Barry Zito, Chris Townsend with The Athletics. How are you? Hey, Chris. Really sorry I was uh, late, man. Put uh, <laughs> putting my kids down in a little bit of a blur here for a minute. So I apologize. Hey, life changes fast when you got young kids, right? Oh, yeah, man. It's, uh, it gets primal, that's for sure. So the book is finally out, Curveball, How I Discovered True Fulfillment After t- Chasing Fortune and Fame. How much fun is it putting out a book? Uh, <laughs> well, at this juncture, it is definitely fun. You know, uh, for the last two years, it's been quite a challenge to, you know, just kind of go through the process. But I think more emotional than I ever thought it would be, just really getting back into the experience, you know, of a lot of the pain and stuff. How therapeutic was it for you to do this book and to now finally have your story out? It was really therapeutic. I mean, what I didn't realize, and I think what's good about any of us kind of going back to old experiences is to, you have a perspective that comes with age and wisdom. And I actually never realized, you know, just the huge impact that my father had on, on every side of my life and uh, you know, a lot of good, but some bad too. And, you know, so I really kind of illustrate in the book of just, how I, I realized I was trying to win his approval and a lot of times pitching, you know, trying to be good at baseball really to get approval from him and, and, you know, feel loved from my father, which is, uh, like I said, it's not something I realized I was doing really. Yeah. That's heavy stuff. And, and to share that w- with your fans, cause you know, especially on this side of the Bay, how much uh, A's fans love you, you, you know, that, that, that's something that, you know, that's not easy to do to bury your soul in front of everyone. No, I mean, 
I mean, it's not easy. And I, you know, I guess for whatever reason, I just feel there's just kind of been a weight on my conscience. Cause I know that there was just some things I wasn't able to say in post-game interviews sometimes. And, you know, when you're playing, you kind of maintain this armor of, you know, whether it's confidence or, or strength or whatever you're trying to portray when you're kind of in the gladiator arena, you know, but now that I'm not, you know, in that, I definitely feel like there's some things I just needed to say. And, and so it was really great to be able to say those things in the book. Well, of course, there's the great successes, of course, with Oakland and the big three. And you won the Cy Young in 02 and a three-time All-Star. And you won a World Series. Uh, we haven't seen the book yet, but how much do you talk about the great times that you had in your career? <laughs> you know, I definitely do focus on those and, and, you know, but unfortunately a lot of the way that I was viewing just baseball in general and, and my success is I felt a lot of the time, you know, like I deserved it just from how I was raised and, you know, work hard and you'll achieve these things and didn't really have a foundation for anything that was more important, you know, than, than baseball or than, you know, winning the game. And so when I was doing, you know, really fun, amazing stuff in, in Oakland and succeeding, there was a part of me that just kind of felt like this is how it's supposed to go. And there wasn't really this gratitude. And unfortunately, you know, that turned into a lot of fear of like, wow, how do I keep this going? You know, if, if this is what my life is supposed to be like, then how do I make sure, you know, instead of like, Oh wow, this is amazing. How did, how did a Cy Young happen? Who's who knows, you know? Well, you got that curveball and that change up and uh, there's a, there's a reason you got that Cy Young. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's funny, the further I get from those experiences, the the less I can actually take credit for them. I mean, I feel like I was throwing a curveball like most kids growing up or a changeup. I, I, I just, I don't really know why, you know, I had the success I did. And, uh, but, but I do feel that I'm really empowered now in a, in a humble state of mind. And, and again, just grateful for all of it, you know. People think signing big contracts is easy and I like to tell them all the time you never know how it's going to affect you when you sign something like that and especially when you sign with another team because now that other team people just see you as dollar signs and they expect you to succeed every single time you're out on that field how did signing that big contract with the Giants affect you mentally oh it was very difficult um you know and i think for me like you know i I touch on that in the book of like you know when these guys kind of re-up with their home team that they came up with they they have all this credit built up you know in the in their baseball bank account with the fans and when you go to a new squad you're basically starting all over again and so even though i was still in the bay I, i was starting from scratch and you know i came out those first you know few games and had some rough starts in 07 and it was kind of rough, you know, most of the way there. And, uh, I think for me, you know, just my, my, my headspace, a lot of it was really based on ego. I mean, unfortunately I was, I was really needing to feel important and to kind of feel validated that I was, you know, like kind of this famous guy in the spotlight. And of course I was getting, you know, I was getting involved in Hollywood things. So that was just adding fuel to the fire. And, you know, it, it stopped being about really just pitching well and having it in there, uh, you know, early in my Oakland career, and, and it took a long time to get back to that. And recently, Bruce Bochy was asked the toughest decision in his managerial career, and he mentioned you, and he said 2010 keeping you off the playoff roster, and you talked about 2010 and how uh, – 
how you felt about that Giants team. So what do you think about when Bruce Bochy says that in all those years of managing, you know, having to deal with 2010 and you was the toughest thing he ever dealt with? That's wow. I mean, that guy's been through a lot. So, I mean, I would say I'm honored on the one hand, but, uh, you know, that was, that was my toughest moment hands down in my career. So uh, I'm glad I wasn't alone in that, I guess, but you know, he handled it incredibly. I mean, he, he was such a, a classy guy and, and he did what he had to do. I mean, I would have done the same thing if I was manager. Um, and, but, you know, I, I embraced that failure, that, that great failure of my career, you know, because it really, it cracked my head open and made me realize I'm not, you know, I'm not the center of the world. And uh, for me to get left off that roster and watch the team, you know, win the world series was so painful for me. And, uh, but it led me to, to really live my life for something greater at that point. I just, I just realized that my own willpower really wasn't sufficient for, for life anymore, and, and that was a huge, huge win uh, in my book. Yeah, in the book, I, I guess you mentioned you really weren't pulling for them in the postseason 2010. Yeah, I mean, and that, you know, and, and there was a big headline in the Bay Area recently about that, and, of course, you know, the, the reality is that, you know, I think any of us, when when we're supposed to, you know, we get hired to do a job and, you know, we're getting maybe paid, you know, higher than other people to do that job. And then we end up, you know, not even being competent enough to get it done. And, and we're watching people, you know, that we're getting paid more. They're actually doing the job we were hired for. And, and that's how I really took that situation. And so, you know, being just in a very dark, shameful place, you know, at that time, I there was a part of me that was, you know, hoping the team would lose so that, you know, I, that I could validate, you know, my, my struggling ego, you know, to say that I'm still needed on this team. Because uh, to be honest, I mean, it just didn't even feel like my team anymore uh, when I just really wasn't even allowed to, to take the field with them. It was a very difficult time. But the great thing is you got back up on that horse and they don't win the 2012 World Series if it wasn't for you. What did that mean, and what do you talk about in the book, the comeback in 2012? Yeah, that, that 2012 year, uh, just, I mean, you know, <laughs> I mean, I can't take credit for that. I honestly can't because it's just a real ironic thing. You know, I just, I'm a, I, I feel like I'm a good person, good heart, you know, and I really just wanted to impress the fans all along, just prove to the Giants fans that I was worth the money and that I could get it done for their team. And there was a lot of guilt that I harbored for many years, you know, for, for everything that happened uh, and for how much I was getting paid, you know, and to go out in St. Louis and that NLCS and, you know, do that in the World Series too was just, that was just me literally giving up that need for redemption and giving up that need to validate. And, and for me, you know, it was a higher power. I just said, you know, God, I'm sick of like working so hard to get everyone to think I'm, you know, worth it. And, and I just want to go throw that ball and enjoy it. And, and I was able to do that. And, you know, of course, when you stop trying to impress everyone, right, then all of a sudden great things happen. So do you think if a player struggling mentally right now that this book would be a great read for them? That's my hope, you know, Chris, like I really, I really hope that whether it's high school kids, major league guys, you know, I'm just trying to, to open up to something I think that all of us deal with on some level. You know, it, it's not like you got to be in some big high position making a lot of money to, to doubt yourself or to take your job too seriously so that you, you actually do a worse job at it than you would, you know, if you really had perspective. And I think in pro sports, certainly a lot of guys put so much pressure on themselves to be good every day. 
And usually it's the guys that value something in their life more than the sport that are the ones that do it so great and, and so consistently because they're, they don't have a death grip on it, you know, and, and that's kind of the theme of the book. The book Curveball, How I Discovered True Fulfillment After Chasing Fortune and Fame. You're the best, Barry. Good luck with this book, and we'll have you on again soon. I look forward to it, man. Again, sorry I was late, but uh, it, was, it was great to talk. We'll promote the book. Thanks, buddy. All right. Take care, buddy. Well, now joining us, we watched a lot of his career, and it was a great career. Two-time All-Star, a three-time Gold Glover, and he led the American League in stolen bases. The great Harold Reynolds joins us. Harold, it's an honor to have you on the program. We really appreciate it. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks for having me, guys. How about last night? The A's go into Anaheim. They've got a two-game lead in the, for the top wild card. They lose, and after the game, it drops all the way down to just a half-game lead. Well, it's crazy. It's going to come down to the last day. I mean, let's just buckle up and get ready. Um, that's what baseball's so cool about. That comes down to that last day, and everybody's playing at the same time. And uh, it's going to come down to that. But the A's are a scary club, man. If they get in, they got a chance, I think, to really make an amazing run. I thought last year was built a lot on that bullpen. This year it's built on a combination of things. Uh, they got a really good club. Yeah, and, and what's tough to think about, whether it's the A's, whether it's the Rays, or it's the Indians, somebody's not going to make the wild card. And you're talking about three teams that are going to be upper 90s in wins. How crazy is that? That's real crazy. I remember back in the day when you had to have uh, you had to win your division, and I think the Giants had lost to the Dodgers, and I think the Giants won like ninety five or ninety six games and did not get in. You know, so yeah, that that happens rarely, but uh, for teams to win that many games and not be in the postseason, uh, that's that's really sad. Yeah, I mean, you're now looking, Harold, going into these seasons where so many teams are tanking that. To win your division, literally, you got to have like 104 and 105 wins just to win the division. Well, you got to beat up on the teams you're supposed to beat, you know, and that's how you get the win totals. But um, yeah, you got to win your division and come up with the big numbers. The tough thing about wild card is you're not usually playing those head-to-head matchups down the stretch, so you can't control your destiny, so to speak. You're 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 hoping that somebody else. Uh, is going to be able to come through for you. And that's the tough part about the wild card. Yeah, nothing says... But, but, I, I, but I do say this, though. The wild card has made baseball great. By having two wild cards, adding that, uh, having teams get in through the wild card, it's changed everything. And I actually do love it. I think it's great for baseball. I, I totally agree. And, and it keeps so many different teams alive throughout the season. And just talking about, you know, you're not playing head-to-head, nothing says pennant race baseball like a, a series at the end of the year between the Indians and the Nats. No doubt about it. Um, you know, and again, that's a whole other thing. It's like you got an American League and Nats. you got an interleague game deciding that at the end. You would like to see common foes uh, playing against each other, at least even in the same league, you know, American League, National League, where the rules are different with the DH and everything else. It really does change uh, how you play that last weekend if you're the Indians. How much has this year for the A's, after winning 97 games last year, right now they're at 94, they've got this great young core. How much has that have they changed the perception for everybody there at the MLB Network that this thing is not a fluke, this thing's for real? 
Well, I don't know about changing the perception. A lot of guys here are big A's fans. Uh, you know, I sit next and work to work with Matty V. His office is right next to mine, Matt Vasquez, and he grew up out there. And Eric Burns is clearly uh, an A's guy. So we hear about it a lot. And <laughs> Greg Amsinger seems like every spring train he comes out and goes, look out for the A's. So we got some guys that make sure that we are all here on point following the A's. But I think the biggest turnabout for the A's for me watching them are the position players. You know, you look at Matt Olson, you look at – at Matt Chapman, and the way uh, Marcus Simeon's come on, and then a host of other guys that have really, including Canna, have just taken off to a whole nother level. And now you bring up Murphy the catcher, catcher and or more the catcher, Murphy the catcher, I'm sorry. And then, you know, they continue to bring in talent in the, in the position player. It was always known for being creative in the pitching and different things like that, but the position players have been really solid. You know how tough it is to play in the middle of the infield. And tell me what you've seen in Marcus Simeon as he plays every single day. His defense is spot on. And he's going to get some MVP votes for what he's done offensively. Yeah, he will get some MVP votes. Um, the thing that I see with Marcus Simeon is, is Ron Washington saved his career. And that was a Billy Bean move, bringing Wash out there to – Work with him. Uh, Ron Washington's the best infield instructor out there in baseball. and He turned Marcus's career around, and, and he took a guy that was very talented who was struggling on the defensive side and made him a sound defenser, defender. You know, balls are hit to him now. You're not holding your breath hoping he'll catch it. You know he's going to catch it and make a, a right play and, and get an out. And then the offense has always been there. I mean, he's always had an electric bat. He's got power in it. Um, he's going to hit for an average. If you were able to bring that defense up to the level the offense is at, you were going to have an MVP type of caliber player, and that's that's what's happened now with Marcus. You know, earlier today on MLB Now, they made a really good case about the Houston Astros and Garrett Cole and Justin Verlander about how close it is their numbers this year. And in the end, Verlander's got more innings, Cole's got more strikeouts, but virtually all the the metrics are basically the same. They play in the same ballpark. They play behind the same defense. Uh, They they have the offense working for them. If you had a vote for American League Cy Young Award, where would you go with it? Uh, If you'd asked me a month ago, I'd have said Justin Verlander, hands down. I thought the no-hitter kind of took him over the top. Uh, And as time goes on and the sand goes through the hourglass, so to speak, Garrett Cole's taken every advantage of his last, you know, what, 10 starts. He's been amazing. So I don't know. I'm glad I don't have a vote. Um, I, I would be okay either way. I still kind of lean towards Verlander, although Garrett Cole has definitely closed that gap. And, and uh, But it will be one of those two guys, that's for sure, that wins it. Yeah, I've been asking this question, you know, if, if the goal for the A's – is to win the World Series. You know you're probably going to have to at some point go through the Astros, probably go through the Yankees, maybe even the Twins. But if the Astros, would you rather have the Astros in a five-game series or a seven-game series? Uh, I would rather play them in five. <clears throat> I think in five you can you can do some things in a five-game series that doesn't exploit your club as much. I think in a seven-game series, uh, that's when – Zach Grinke is a difference maker. You know, in a five-game series, you're going after the two-headed monster and Cole and Verlander and and hoping you're able to beat those two and and forcing them to go another guy. But if you go seven-game series, you're seeing those guys twice. And I just don't see beating them four games in seven games with with those three guys that can 
start games for you. That's very difficult to do. Yeah, and then a lot of people, you know, so much talk about the Astros and their roster, which is fabulous. You know, we get to see it here in the American League West. And, of course, the Yankees. But, Harold, I was just recently in in uh, Minnesota with the Raiders, and we went over to Target Field. I wouldn't sleep on the Twins. I mean, they, they've got a puncher's chance, wouldn't you say, as good as anybody. Oh, no doubt. I mean, that's had an unbelievable year. Their offense has been the big key. You know, their, their pitching has been up and down, but Barrios has really come on. Last night, Orderizzi had an injury that you're a little bit concerned about. He had tightness in the hamstring. They're calling it a cramp today. Uh, if he's not able to pitch at full strength, uh, then you're in trouble. But that same question you just asked me about the Astros, I'd rather play the Twins in a seven-game series than in a five-game series. And I think over seven, uh, you, you can exploit that, that pitching a little bit more than you can in a five-game series. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's the way it lines up, you know. But either way, you're going to have to go through some 100-win teams if you're going to win this thing. It's, it's Yeah, you, you're, gonna, you're playing against the big boys now. So, absolutely, it's going to be a, a good run. What do you make of the Acuna injury? Uh, I think it's precautionary. I mean, obviously, he had a growing pool. Um, they need to pull the young man back. He's played a lot of baseball, including the All-Star game. He went to Japan last year. So I don't see when he's actually even had any time off. Uh, so, you you know, coming out of a first year to run a guy that much, uh, it, it's a tall task. So I think pulling him back is important. Um, and I, it, I, I hope he's healthy because we, we want to see him at his best. And if he's not, then the Braves are in big trouble. Let's end on this. You know, when you were with the Mariners, you saw some of the greatest young talent of all time, and you got to play with it. But I think of what mm-hmm. we're seeing now in baseball with all the guys under 30, all the guys under 25. Is this the best young group of talent you've seen since your time in baseball? Uh, no doubt. I mean, collectively, what they're capable of doing uh, with the numbers they're putting up, how they swing the bats, uh, it's a different game, clearly. Um, I don't think Ken Griffey Jr. even – his rookie year could sit there and, and worry about not striking out and just let me let the bat fly. Um, that's the biggest difference. I think they have the freedom and the liberty to really swing three times as hard as they can. Hopefully they hit a ball out of the ballpark. Um, I do think that there's some nuances that I would like to see. You know, I'd like to see somebody shoot the ball the other way. I'd like to see them go first or third, steal bases, because I think they're athletic enough to do that. I think we're we're, we're, we're shortcoming the, their offense, their capabilities of this generation. But that said, I think they're bigger, they're stronger, they're faster, um, and they could be fully off the charts. We're seeing, I think we're just scratching the surface of using all their talents. Yeah, I'm thinking about this juice baseball that I have in my hand right now. King Griffey Jr. <laughs> at the, King Griffey Jr. at the Kingdom. Can you imagine Griffey with this juice ball? He'd hit a few, there's no doubt about it. I mean, the ball's jumping this year, and, and there's no denying that. And he would be uh, – he, he was pretty special in, in any generation you put him in. Harold, big fan from your days playing ESPN, now MLB Network. Thank you so much for coming on the program, and keep doing a great job. We watch you every day. That's awesome, man. Thank you, and go A's. I'm looking forward to watching them play. It's going to be fun. Hope they finish this run. Thanks, Harold. Yeah, good guy. MLB Network will exclusively air two American League Division Series games. Plus, you can watch Harold Reynolds on MLB Tonight throughout the postseason. Eric, welcome to A's Cast Live with Chris Townsend. Great to have you on the program.
Chris, how you doing? How are you? Uh, we're doing wonderful. What's this time of the year like for a player when you're coming down to it, there's only four games left, and you're battling other teams for the postseason? Well, I, am I playing for a team that has a chance or, or is going home in about a couple days? No, no, no. <laughs> you you got a chance, my friend. No, this is um, this without a doubt um, about the next three weeks is, is the best three weeks of baseball, and and if you're fortunate enough to, to withstand this, this long haul of a season and, you know, and you, you're one of the teams that, that gets a you punch your ticket in the postseason, this is definitely the best, best time of the year. Yeah, and, and really it, it's crazy where we are in baseball that, you know, the A's last year won 97 games. They got 95 wins right now with four to play. So, you know, they got, they got a chance to, to beat 97. And really, 97-98 still – just gets you into a one-game playoff. It's it's crazy. I mean, it, it is crazy, and I'm 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 looking at the the standings right now, and as good as they are, they're still nine games back of the Astros, which is just. I mean, right now, I mean, if you're if you're going to break down everything, um, I, I I think the Astros kind of are the the most complete deep team that that are is going to enter the playoffs, but. You know, up and down. I mean, every team has an has an opportunity with a little with a little luck, and you know the way the the A's have been playing. It just seems to be a different brand of baseball. You know, consistent consistency on the defensive side. Um, they've gotten good starting pitching. Uh, you know, I I think for the A's, it's going to come down to, you know, I, everybody knows where all the teams are hitting homers left and right in the postseason. Usually, that doesn't. Um, that doesn't carry over, but that being said, you know, I think coming up with one big hit that allows your, your next hitter to come up and allow that guy to hit a three run homer, um, is going to be pretty pivotal. So yeah, there, there's a lot of good teams, but like, like I said, as good as the A's have been playing, you look at them and the Astros are nine games ahead of them, which is, which is unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we've talked about it and I don't think we've ever seen this before because let's say you're going to have to go through. You're gonna to have to go through the Astros, then you got to go through the Yankees, and then maybe meet the Dodgers in the World Series. Eric, you could potentially have to beat three teams that won over a hundred games. Yeah, it, it's absolutely amazing. Um, yeah, it's, it's I you know I don't know if it's parity or not. I, you know, there's there's obviously a lot of teams that 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 need to, need to do a lot of work this offseason, but um, you know, as far as some of these bigger clubs. Um, get you know the Braves have, have done an outstanding job. You know the Brewers with Yelich out have have they've almost been better without him, which is absolutely amazing. So um, it, it, it's exciting. Like I said, you know it, football just started. You know as a sports fan, just in general, this is the definitely the best time of the year. And um, you know there's a lot of good teams that are going to be entering the postseason here within a week. Yeah, I totally agree with you. With all the college football on Saturday, the NFL on Sunday, and now playoff baseball, it doesn't get any better. How much do you how much do you enjoy watching Matt Chapman play third base for the A's? Phenomenal. Phenomenal. And in the last couple of years, I've I've been up to Oakland um opening nights and and gotten to meet with him. Um you know, the the thing I'm most impressed about is is just the the individual himself. I mean, there's you know, I, you know, I, I get to work closely with, with Mike Trout over in Anaheim now, who I have the utmost respect for. But, you know, you see guys like Chapman that, um, you know, respect the game, respect the history of the game, 
Um, I just love the way he goes about it. Actually, you know, kind of ironically, I, I just sent an email to the A's um, asking for a personalized jersey from him. And uh, I, I haven't asked for jerseys from anybody over any time of my career. Um, but that's how impressed I am with the, with that man. And, uh, you know, the, to, to, to win that silver, to win the silver glove, which, which you know, which was unheard of, um, you know, when I was playing, is just remarkable. And, uh, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm more in love with the individual. He, he's obviously a great uh, defensive player, and his offense is just starting to turn the corner. I think he's only starting to peak right now. Um, but, but just as an individual, I love hearing all the good things about him. You know, Ron Washington was great for you in your career, and the same thing for Marcus Simeon. Marcus Simeon went from leading the world in airs to one of the best shortstops and now an MVP candidate. MVP candidate. Talk about what you've seen with Marcus and how he's truly changed his career. Uh, you know, absolutely phenomenal. I, and, uh, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, I think he's second to award to Mike Trout. But, correct, yes. Um, you, you know, I, when I was doing TV games about three – four years ago for Oakland, uh, Marcus was just coming through and he had, you know, he was booting balls left and right. And I, you know, I'd kind of made a statement um, on air saying it was a, it was a little unfair for Marcus to, to have to learn that position at the big league level. I mean, you can, you know, you can get away with a guy at first base or left field. Um, but when you have to play shortstop at the big league level and you've got to learn a new position, and you got to command the infield and, 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 and be the leader of, of the defense, that's a tough task. And, and that, that could have gone two ways. I mean, th- th- that kid could have buried himself mentally. Uh, but to his credit, you know, and, and everything I've heard from Washington and, uh, and Bob Malvin, this guy works his butt off. And uh, it, what a tremendous turnaround. I mean, like I said, it, it, it's hard to learn a position at the big level, but to learn shortstop and, and to stick through the years that he had, um, and now he's obviously one of the, the top five to ten, you know, one of the best players in the game. It's, it's been a remarkable turnaround and tells you all about the individual. So you played with a lot of great players, and you played against a lot of great players. But now you're around Mike Trout. Is Mike Trout the best player you've ever seen? Uh, yeah, he's, um, you know, for it, – it, it's hard to say, you know, it's – you know, I, I think from a from an exciting standpoint, you know, for me coming up, I think Griffey was, you know, obviously an eye popper for me. Barry Bonds was an eye popper for me, but Mike, it, Mike just has a way of going about business that is just, you know, bring your lunch pail, ho hum, you know, two for three, a homer, two walks, um, you know, eight total bases, drive in three, and it's like, oh, you know, just a typical day. And he, he almost makes it look too easy. Um, but, it, you know, when you look at the numbers and you break it down historically, I, I don't know that you can compare him to anybody. I mean, he's, he's on pace to, to kind of surpass everybody. And, you know, you got you to gotta respect the, the work that he's doing on the field. But, but like, I, as I go back to Chapman as well, um, I'm more impressed with the individuals. You know, that was, you know, when I was coming through, Giambi was a clubhouse leader for us, and I, I learned a lot from Jason um, and the way that he treated people. And there's a lot of good players in this game, and players come and go. They, you know, it, it, they, they told me that their career is going to go by fast, and it went by really fast. And, you know, now, now I'm five years out of the game, um, and, and there's just as many good players coming through. So um, I'm, I'm impressed with more of the individuals. And uh, Mike Trout is definitely one of those those guys that's uh, salt of the earth. 
So we recently celebrated the 20-game winning streak in 2002, and it's just thinking back what an amazing achievement that was, you know, late in the streak, the walk-offs by Miguel Tejada and Scott Hatterberg. For you going through that, what was that like when you look back at that streak? Phenomenal. Just just phenomenal. I mean, it was, we, we literally felt like we could – we could throw our gloves out there and our hats and we were going to win. Um, you know, it's just a really good feeling. And, you know, I don't think a lot of people remember there was some talk about a strike that was going on for about, I don't know, a couple of weeks during that stretch. And, and that took a little bit of the news and, and people really didn't start talking about what we were doing until about game 16, 17. And then that's kind of when it hit the national media. Um, but yeah, it was, you know, to see the Indians go through what they did, um, you know, it, it's a, it's a phenomenal feat, you know, a lot of luck's involved. You got to have health. You got to get guys hot at the same time. Uh, all five starters got to give you, um, good efforts. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was a great time for us. And, uh, you know, the, the Indians came up short. What did they end up winning? 22, 23. I think we won 20 in a row. Um, you know, it, it, it's hard to stay that hot for that long. And, um, you know, I'll always go back to this, and I, I don't know if people know this story, but after we won our 20th game, um, David Justice, who I respect more than anybody, uh, had a team meeting. It was about the worst, the worst timing of a team meeting possible. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we went into Minnesota, and we lost the first game in Minnesota, and then never went to streak. So, um, you know, it's uh, it was a good group of guys. And like I said, we we honestly felt like. You know, if we just threw our hats and gloves out there, we were going to win that night. So there's going to be some openings for managers around baseball this year, and your name's being floating out there. How much do you want to manage in the big leagues? Yeah, that's, you know, definitely. It's, it's been on my radar for the last couple of years. And, um, you know, being in the front office that one year with the Yankees when I was done, um, you know, this is my fourth year with Anaheim. I, I've gotten a, a good opportunity to see – what both sides are looking for as far as ownership, as far as front office. Um, I've gotten to still continue to work with players. I had that little stint in AAA managing in Salt Lake last year, which was phenomenal. Um, yeah, that's kind of, for me, it's the last box I want to check off before I kind of ride off into the sunset. Um, I, I love staying in the game. Um, I've got a lot of respect for a lot of these players. And, um, you know, it's, it's everything that I've known. And, you know, I, I read somewhere sometime – some time ago that, you know, when you retire, it, 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 it's important that you stay busy and, and you do something you love. And baseball is always something I love. So it was important for me to stay in the game. And I'm glad I, you know, I'm glad my name's just out there surfacing. You know, I, I had a couple opportunities last year. Like I interviewed with, well, obviously with Anaheim and I interviewed with Texas. Um, really good experiences. And, you know, I'm just looking for the opportunity. I feel like, you know, from a personality standpoint, I can relate to players. I've had pretty even keel. You know, when people watch me throughout my career, I was never too high, never too low, just went about my business. Um, but, I, but I think I have a good grip and a good feel about, about how, how people run. And I, I think that'll be one of my biggest attributes. But, yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to this offseason. Hopefully the, the, the phone will ring and uh, I'll get some opportunity. Well, one of the jobs is your hometown, the San Diego Padres, <laughs> and you're uh, you're you're rumored as one of the guys. What would that mean to you to to go back home and manage the Padres, the team you grew up watching? 
Yeah, it, it would be great, you know, and, and, and to be honest with you, um, you know, last year it was, it was pretty well documented. I think everybody felt like I was going to get the Anaheim job that I was paid for that. So I, I don't really, I don't look too much into it. Um, like I said, I'm very thankful for an opportunity. If it comes my way, I'll, I'm well prepared. I know both sides of the game now um, as a player, as a front office, um, dealing with ownership, you know, there, there, there's a lot. Um, that I've inhaled here in the last five years being out of the game. So um, I think I have a lot to offer. Like I said, hopefully I get an opportunity. I'd, I'd love to, to take the helm somewhere. Like I said, I'm, I feel like I have a good heartbeat with, uh, with people and, and how to deal with people and personalities. And, you know, hopefully it'll shake out in my way here. Hey, we always appreciate the time. You know how much this fan base loves you and will always love you. And good luck this offseason. And uh, hopefully next time we talk, we talk about uh, you being a, you being a skipper in the big leagues. I would appreciate that phone call, Chris. Thank you. Bill, welcome to A's Cast Live with Chris Townsend. How are you? And it's an honor to have you on the program. Oh, thank you very much for having me on. Sir. I'm great to be here. So when I think about you and you termed sabermetrics, what is it like for you that your hard work and your passion truly changed Major League Baseball? Well, it wasn't me. I mean, I, I was fortunate to be in the right place at the right time, and I was doing stuff before everybody was doing it, and then a lot of other people started doing it, but it, it wasn't, you know, it was the other people who changed baseball, it wasn't really me. Well, when, when I think, when did you start and why did you start delving into all these numbers and creating all of these metrics? See, I remember that I was creating the type of metrics that I made a living by creating. I was doing that when I was a teenager. Of course, I didn't know what I was doing. I mean, I didn't, not, I, I didn't know how to go about it. Uh, I, I didn't know how to study an issue and find a credible answer, but I was doing it. The... Uh, I started doing it professionally about 1976, I guess. And then when you think about that makes me sound really old, which you know. <laughs> well, that just means you've been you've been that great for a long time. Because I, I I assume that when you started and and people really started to look at your stuff, you know, I, I bet a lot of people weren't buying it early. What was like early on when you started presenting this to the baseball world? Uh, to say that. People weren't buying it would be the understatement of the week. The uh, there was a lot of uh, random hostility directed at ideas like, um, you know, base stealing is a nice thing and it helps you win a game occasionally, but it's not really the fun- fundamental of an offense. Uh, uh, that, that would make people angry to say stuff like that. The um, or a baseball a baseball player's prime is ages 26 to 30, it's not 28 to 32, as had been said. In People got angry about that. Like the um, after we got past that phase, there were a lot of people in baseball who would come up to me and say, "You know, I was using your stuff uh, on my team or in my scouting." A lot of scouts would come up and you know, "I was using your stuff way back when," and I don't doubt that they were, uh, but you know, they were awfully quiet about it at the time. Well, yeah, I think people have been using your stuff for a very long time. And do you like the way the game of baseball has changed and the way front offices operate now in modern-day baseball? Well, I'm fine with the way the front offices operate. The uh, the way the game is played on the field, which is to an extent a consequence of the way the front offices operate, to a certain extent, is uh, it's not ideal. I mean, the I do think 
baseball really needs to get on top of the pace of play issue with some realistic stuff, not, you know, trimming around the edges of the edges. So they, they really need to address the issue, in my opinion. The, uh, uh, but, and there are other things that are aesthetically wrong with the game. Uh, I think with, well, I don't know. I'm going to be 70 in a few weeks, so I, I don't dare to say anything negative about the current generation or I become an old guy yelling, get off my lawn, you know. But, uh, but uh, I do think there are some issues with the fans' view of how the game is played. Yeah, trust, you know, being in the American League and seeing these games, you know, you can have a three to two game that's almost four hours long. And I, I agree with you. I think about young kids, you know, you're starting these games at like seven o'clock. There's no way someone can sit there for four hours, especially on a school night. If you could change something in baseball to, to pick up the pace of play, what would it be? Right. It's obvious it needs to be done. I don't know how you convince it. There are two things that need to be done. One is you have to stop calling time between pitches, you know, get in there and hit some. And the other is you have to limit the number of pitching changes in a game. I mean, baseball games have become a, a uh, interminable, particularly in September, because September is worse than ever, an interminable series of pitching changes. And, and it's, you know, it's just not that much fun to watch. The uh, so those it's obvious what needs to be done. You need to do those two things, but unless you do those two things, you can you can solve the problem. You know the metrics that you created, and you would recreate, you'd build new ones. But out of all the metrics that you created, what were your favorite ones? The uh, well, I still do that by the way. I, that's what I was doing for the last two hours. <laughs> Reinventing a way to read all the historical, all the left fielders in history. So I still do that. But the um, uh, the the two things I made that had the largest impact were the runs created method, and you know, everybody uses some sort of a runs created method anymore. Although you know everybody uses mine, but somebody everybody uses some sort of and the Pythagorean recognition the system the Pythagorean system that recognition that the number of games you win is usually a, a predictive predictable outcome of how many runs you score and how many you allow, which enables you to place the value. It enables you to place a win value on a run, uh, which is, you know, it's crucial being able to see what the true value of a player is, is being able to say what is the win value of a run. uh, uh, So those are the two things that had the most impact. When I think about batting average and when I think about home runs and I think about RBIs, the metrics that you help create and that people still create and you're still creating – you know, you can show the value of a player other than those three. Do you remember back when you looked at a player and you said, wait a minute, this guy's metrics show you he's better than you think he actually is? Well, for older players, older fans in the Oakland area, the shocking player was Gene Tennis. And Gene Tennis would hit 225 with 20 homers and 65 RBIs. But you, if you studied the numbers deeply enough, you discover, hey, that guy is actually a really good player. He's one of the three or four most valuable players on his team, despite the low batting average and the and the unimpressive RBI count. The um, uh, that was the that was the biggest reaction at the time. And you know what? I I still fight that. I I, I still have trouble convincing myself that a player of that type has the value that he that he has because I grew up. Being told, told that you know, being taught that 
you know, batting average is everything. And I still fight the impulse to overvalue it. Yeah, Gene Tennis, a good friend of the program. We always love having him on. And, and those A's, you know, they're they're finally starting to get their due, Bill. But but that that team that you know when they started winning those, there's because only the Yankees and the A's have won three straight World Series. But the greatness of that 72, 73, 74 run with the A's that was really really a special team. And it was a crazy team, but it was a special team. Yeah, and at the time, well, because you know Finley was not really a lovable person it, at the time, there was more emphasis on the craziness than there was on the on the greatness. But guys like uh, you know Sal Bando, the captain of that team, and and the, the really four three phenomenal starting pitchers, but really four. You had Catfish Hunter and and uh, Vita Blue and Ken Holtzman and Blue Moon. Oak. The, uh, the great reliever at that time. At that time, the greatest ever, Raleigh Fingers. The uh, it was uh, uh, it, it truly was a, a very remarkable team. When I think about pitching today, and we're seeing guys, starters, go less innings, and bullpens are eating up more innings than ever before, and it can work when you have a really good bullpen, but bullpens from year to year are so fickled, do you think we need to start seeing starting pitchers go deeper into games, or do you like that we just need to keep throwing bullpen arms at it? Uh, if, If we could find a way to go back a little bit to have more reliance on the starting pitchers. And it's not just that, but but maybe get away from a game where the pitcher is throwing as hard as he can and the batter is swinging as hard as he can. If we could, uh, if we could get away from that a little bit, I think, it, I think it's easier for the fan to get into the game when there's a little less of that. So, yeah, so, yeah. again, I'm an old guy. I don't dare criticize the modern gamer. But, but the uh, I do think that a little more reliance on starting pitching is helpful. You know, think of the A's, we think they're going to get into the postseason. And if they do, that will be 10 postseasons in 20 years. And with all the obstacles Billy Bean has had to deal with, and of course, the Moneyball, the book, and then the movie, when you look from afar and you've watched Billy Bean's career, how have you valued him as a front office person? Oh, it's, it's, it's amazing what he's done. And, and, the uh, to win as many games as the A's have won on the on the budgets that they've had to work with and with the the level uh, you know cities the area is immense of course but the Oakland is is not the glamour part of that area and and the, with the with the sport levels they've had they win the number of games that they had it's just a phenomenal accomplishment I, I don't I don't think anyone any anyone's ever I don't think it's a match for it anywhere in history. Let's end on this. What is it that you truly love about the game of baseball? The the fact that, that you can figure it out if you work hard enough. I mean, there's a lot of things I love about baseball. It, it, this, this is the truth. I, you know, I go to sleep tonight, and I, I will have – if you wake me up at 4 a.m., I will be dreaming about baseball. I promise you I will. It's, it's how my mind is organized. The uh, – I love the fact that, that it's a, an organized universe. You know, everything happens within it for a reason. And whereas the real universe is too large and too complicated for you to understand, baseball is a small enough universe that you can sort of understand. You don't wake up in the middle of the night, do you, and start doing creating new metrics, right? You dream about something, wake up, and go to, the, like, a, a desk? Oh, very much. I, I, do it, I do it all the time, yeah. 
<laughs> Bill, thank you so much for your time. We truly appreciate it. Uh, you're a legend in this game, and anytime we can have you on, it'll be a great pleasure. Hey, uh, happy to do it anytime. Thanks for having me on, guys. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.